You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talkback program. Senator Dallaire has served 35 years with the Canadian Armed Forces and now sits in the Canadian Senate. His Governor General's literary award-winning book, Shake Hands with the Devil, exposed the failures of the international community to stop the worst genocide in the 20th century. It's been turned into an Emmy Award-winning documentary as well as a feature film. It's also been entered into evidence in war crimes tribunals trying the perpetrators of the Rwandan genocide. Senator Dallaire has received numerous honors and awards, including Officer of the Order of Canada in 2002. And now as a champion of human rights, his activities include work on genocide prevention, the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons, and the Child Soldier Initiative, which seeks to develop a conceptual base for the elimination and use of child soldiers. He doesn't like to take on little tasks, ladies and gentlemen. It's like he looks around for the biggest sucker out there and then tries to kind of grab a hold of it. RomeoDelaire.com is the website. Senator Delaire, it is an honor to chat with you again. Welcome back. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for the patience waiting on hold there. We were a touch late. I appreciate it. Well, no, it was interesting conversations about the depression and, and the position of males these days in the in regards to their mental health. Well, you know, actually, while we were chatting about that, I actually did think of you because the last time you and I spoke, I mean, you were very open. I think you are with most people, but you were very open with us. And I remember uh, talking about, you know, the depression that you still battle yourself, correct? I take uh, nine pills a day. Uh, that is to say, some for the day to keep me sort of stable, and uh, pills to knock me out at night, so I blank out everything else. Hmm. And uh, I have been 11, 11 years in therapy. Well, first of all, from one guy to another, thanks for opening up and being real about that, because as, yeah. we, as we just discussed, a lot of guys don't talk about that. So thanks. You're, I mean, you're, whether it's intentional or not, you're leading the way, and I'm being open about this stuff, so good for you. Well, in, in, in 97, when I was the, the chief of staff of the, in the um, uh, personnel world and saw that uh, we were taking casualties, and including suicides, and families being destroyed and guys being thrown in jail, and uh, we simply didn't have no tools to recognize uh, that this injury was the, the cause of all that, um, I I did go public uh, because uh, we simply didn't have enough of a of a sense uh, that this was a, an injury uh, called operational stress, and it was an injury uh, due to our uh, use of force in complex scenarios, and it would be with us, and we got to take care of these guys just like we take care of people losing an arm. Good for you. And and so uh, that that's been the the motivation and. To continue. And now we're actually at the stage where we're uh, about to create a national um, research institute uh, on um, the uh, mental health of military in order not only to uh, help people who've been injured, but work on uh, the prevention means to reduce the impact of this injury. Is there anything you don't tackle? <laughs> uh, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well said. I wouldn't even. I I don't even dare get close to the to the field marshal nope. in, in in sort of uh, trying to bring on the debate. <laughs> well done, well done. You can hear our engineer giggling in the background. Let me just okay. let me just get this right out of the way first, and then we'll get into the serious matter here. Uh, Tim has been with me for a few years now, and uh, one of the interviews that Tim rattles on about. I mean, uh, I've done I've interviewed a lot of people over the last seven years. He just thoroughly enjoyed the interview that you gave us a few years back. And he is, and I hesitate to say this because, I mean, we've had a lot of big celebrities yeah. on, but when he found out you were coming on the show, uh, Mr. Dallaire, a senator, he was just ecstatic. So I'd like to introduce you to my good friend, Tim Miller. Tim, this is Romeo Dallaire. Good afternoon, General. How do you do, Tim? And I hope you're asking for double time. I am. I am. No, no. This is this is an honor and privilege. Like it really is. I, you know, um, he's a he's a school teacher, high school uh, teacher. Tell yeah. him what you were you were telling uh, your kids about uh, Senator Delaire. Yeah, we're in the process. One of the the thi- I teach drama, and one of the things we're doing is we're studying the difference between docudramas and documentaries. And I actually used Hotel Rwanda as a documentary, and then your uh, your Emmy Award documentary, uh, Shake Hands with the Devil, as the um, the documentary part. Yeah. And um, my students were greatly impacted, um, obviously large part because they didn't know about the story. A lot of them young teenagers, and this happened back in 94, long before they even existed. But mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them were truly touched like I was about just how you are like i i know you hate it and you hesitate to be called a hero but yeah. i don't i don't hesitate because i looked up the word hero and it's someone who commits an act of bravery yeah. someone who is um courageous um showing strength of character and without question as drew's alluded to you know you're transparent you're honest you are courageous and in my opinion and the thing i love most about you is you're a righteous crap disturber and you <laughs> you you get there in the middle of the stuff that needs to be dealt with i'm very passionate about the same things you are and so okay I'm like are a little girl yet? right now are like, you finished it's like he's Justin Bieber, and I'm, I'm a teenager. To, I'm trying to get this interview back. Uh, Mr. But thank Blair. you. It's been an honor, sir. No, the, and, and, and very kind of you. Have them take a look at the, at the actual feature film with Roy Dupree of Shake Hands with the Devil that's based on the book, uh, as it is really well done uh, uh, to give you some good hard data for them to debate better than Hotel Rwanda. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I will. Well, uh, your latest endeavor, they fight like soldiers, they die like children, the global quest to eradicate the use of child soldiers. Mm-hmm. What? Can you not just pick smaller issues to deal with? Well, <laughs> and, uh, uh, let me put it this way. When uh, this this idea or of, of this um, weapon system that was created in the late 80s in a, in a massive scale uh, in the civil war in Mozambique, and then when we saw other civil wars around the world turning to the use of children because of the incredible proliferation of small arms that children can use, now 10-year-olds can use, at the end of the Cold War. We didn't destroy all that stuff. People just sold them off uh, by the zillions. Um, uh, that continued to bother me and kept bringing back personal experiences in Rwanda where the bulk of the killing, even with machete, was done by youths who had been indoctrinated, drugged up, and so on. And uh, when uh, I finished the the first book, which was to tell the story of uh, Rwanda, uh, I was given the opportunity to go to to Harvard, to the Kennedy School, uh, and to do a year-long fellowship to do research um, conflict resolution. And uh, I was looking at, uh, because we're into a whole new era of conflict where they're not big armies facing big armies and 
they sort of beat up on each other when when one left standing wins and then you sort of rebuild the country we're into so much more complex scenarios with people not in uniform and using kids and and women and suicide bombers and everything else and i thought that we needed a whole new set of tools so i was looking at a, a new conceptual base to conflict resolution and then uh, about a month or two within my work realized that uh, why not take on one of the actual new weapon systems of this era and try to neutralize it and if i'm able to neutralize that weapon system that will take it out of the inventory of those adults who want to conduct conduct conflict in imploding nations failing states and if the adults want to beat up on each other that's one thing but Uh, make them stop using kids to do it. It may seem unimaginable to you that child soldiers exist, and yet the reality for many rebel and gang leaders and even state governments that is that there is no more complete end-to-end weapon system in the inventory of war machines than the child soldier. Yeah. So says you. Yes, and, and, and so is, is uh, proven in the field. Uh, as my, my research uh, for the last six years, and I'm, I'm just back yesterday from another two days at Dalhousie where uh, my research has moved now uh, for the last year and a half in their strategic studies center. And uh, um, not only uh, do they are they effective in these low-intensity civil wars um, of killing and maiming to the extreme, uh, but uh, b- they set up the bivouacs, they get the food, uh, they are the logistic structure uh, to meet the demands of those types of wars. And uh, the girls, who represent 40% of the child soldiers, which often surprises people, uh, uh, they're used also on top of that as sex slaves and bushwives. So, I mean, you've got an uh, illimited number of uh, weapons, uh, that is rifles and machine guns that they can use and ammunition. You have an uh, absolutely limitless a number of children, because many of those countries have over 50% of the population under the age of 15. And so all you, do, all you go is go and rip them out of the schools, the homes, and so on, and shoot a few, and then drug them up, indoctrinate them, and use them. Uh, so it, it, it is a sustainable weapon system that covers all the bases, is cheap, it's expendable. Once it's injured or sick, you just throw it in the bush. It barely talks back, and you run it by fear. And yet we don't care. I mean, you remember you remember the uphill battle you had. I would have used another term than that. (laughs) But you remember the uphill battle you had trying to get the West to give a holy grunt about what was going on in Rwanda. You remember that, right? Obviously, you're never going to forget that. Now you've picked another one, and you've come up against the same beast. North American narcissism. We don't give a holy grunt. Yeah, it's interesting that in, uh, in... Working through the project, we've been uh, able to go into the field. I've had people in in the Congo. I've had people uh, working on research with uh, several African armies uh, based out of University of Botswana, where we we've established a, a base of of work and running courses and getting data. And uh, in the field, uh, the NGO world and and those involved are are cognizant of it. Uh, but do not necessarily always see it as a priority because they always see priority as what the adults need, 
even though the primary weapon system is is a child soldier, and we see that in the in in the Congo. However, uh, uh, here, and this is where I find in the developed world, the, uh, this incredible disconnect in in regards to uh, how we look at a child. Uh, if we have a child who's who's lost, uh, in no time flat, we've got the Amber Alert out, and everybody is going in all directions to uh, try to protect that child. Yeah. Uh, the question is, 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 are our children, uh, our nine and ten year old and twelve year old boys and girls, are they more human than the, the, the those kids that are being abducted and used and abused in those developing countries? Yes, they are. And, 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 uh, that's where, uh, my, my project all of a sudden, uh, sort of slammed into a, a stone wall is this sort of, uh, no, oh no, of course not, but in reality, that's how we we respond, and their will to not intervene is reflective of that. So that's why I said I'm going to do an end run on this wall, and I'm going to create advocacy for uh, involvement of policymakers of the population by going after their peers. I believe those kids are equal, and I believe that the kids who are in their high school and undergrads uh, when they look at their peers in those countries being massively abused, will react. And with the revolution of uh, communications these days, uh, they can, in fact, be far more engaged. And so I created an advocacy movement on youth where I want to go and get two and a half million kids around the world to be engaged to influence public opinion and policy uh, to try to save these 250,000 kids who are being used. Good for you. I know you go through this in almost every interview. I've heard a number of people say the exact same thing I'm about to say to you, and it's the whole stumbling over how the heck we're supposed to address you. Senator, General, Mr. Romeo, what, what, what's, the, what's the right way these days? <laughs> in, in, uh, I want to be right. General, it's interesting because that was a, exactly one of the problems when I arrived in the Senate because, of course, they got all their protocols and so on. And my uh, private secretary is an ex-aide-de-camp to Governor General Georges Vanier. And uh, even he was his ADC when, when he died during uh, our centennial year in 67. Right, right. And so uh, when General Vanier became Governor General, uh, the protocol people said, well, of course, you drop your, your, your title general. You're now His Excellency the Governor General. And he said, no. He says, uh, a general officer gets a commission and he remains a general for life. You, you are part of the strata of the leadership of a nation uh, at that level and you keep that sort of, uh, that, that, uh, nomenclature. So he was general, the Governor General, uh, uh So, they finally resolved it, and uh, a couple of the old chaps, old clerks in the Senate, uh, were ripping hair out. But anyway, <laughs> we used that, and so and so it is. Lieutenant General, the Honorable Romeo Dallaire, Senator. Yeah, but no that's, one, no one's going to say all that. What what is no, the quickest? No, no, but I, you asked me the official title. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Official. I. Uh, it's interesting that my peers in the Senate, uh, on both sides, uh, as well as uh, in the caucus, uh, the MP, and so on. Uh, they feel more at ease by calling me general uh, than senator, although they recognize I'm a senator. And so, um, uh, you know, it's it's up to the person how they feel. Oh, my goodness. Well, what does your wife call you? 
Uh, yeah, we're not going to go there. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are very, very, very capable as an inter interviewer, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, I saw a clip the other day on YouTube where some some wise guy was trying to trip you up with... Uh, with uh, with one of your quotes, and he was trying to hmm. make the point that uh, are you trying to compare Canada's desire to protect our country under certain regulations? Are you trying to compare that with the the evil that uh, terrorist uh, uh, governments or associations, the, the stuff that they do when they take a a mentally challenged girl, strap bombs, throw her into the mar? Are you trying to say we're we're the same? And I was ready for you to do some backpedaling or something. Of course, obviously, I forgot who you were. And you said, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it when guys try to trap you. It is one of the funnest things to watch. I love watching it. Well, they, they, uh, this is, uh, um, I believe, uh, Kenny, I think, uh, um, in front of the uh, House Committee yes. that was looking at Omar Khadr and, and, and uh, that scenario. Right. And, and my argument is, is that in this new era in which we've stumbled into where extremism and terrorism, uh, are the, the threats, the dominant threats, uh, we have uh, permitted ourselves to fiddle with our civil liberties by creating the Security Act, uh, and the Americans call it the Patriot Act. Uh, so we're limiting our civil liberties. We've, we've fiddled with human rights because uh, we've permitted uh, people to use torture uh, to actually uh, get information out, uh, which is against the international conventions and the human rights. Thirdly, we, we even threw out uh, some of the international conventions, like Geneva Conventions, when we permitted Guantanamo Bay to be established, uh, which, which completely negates uh, how you protect uh, people who have been in conflict. So... Uh, we seem to have been looking for solutions by going down the road of those extremists who don't believe in any of this crap. And so how far can you go down the road? I mean, how do you stop uh, uh, or control um, uh, torture? I mean, you're allowed pulling out fingernails and not toenails? I mean, so uh, when I, I presented that, the rebuttal was, yeah, so that means that we're just as bad as people who actually use uh, children, you know, as suicide bombers and so on. Okay. And I said, yes, if you keep doing this and come up with no new solutions, then you are going to slip down that same road. Right. right. It is a slippery slope. Now, but but you are saying, uh, have, mm -hmm. folks, everybody, let's have a look at Omar Khadr for a second. He was a child soldier, correct? Uh, and so does that mean then that we should uh, exert uh, an inordinate amount of compassion on this gentleman and that he should be set free and that, uh, that he shouldn't have been detained and he shouldn't have been uh, tortured and, and he should be walking around here in Canada just like any other uh, good chap? Well, in fact, it, 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 the International Convention on the Optional Protocol of Child Rights that says no one under the age of 18 is to be indoctrinated, trained, uh, equipped, armed, or used in, in conflict uh, and that includes not only uh, government forces, but non-state actors, which includes terrorism. Uh, and that when they are uh, caught, uh, they are to be uh, moved through a, a non-punitive judicial system. They are to be rehabilitated and they are to be reintegrated within the, their society. And that takes whatever the, the length it takes to, in fact, uh, bring them back into the norm. 
that we will consider. In the case of Umar Qadar, we were looking at at least three years of a very intensive program uh, when he was caught. So uh, uh, in the context of Qatar, where you don't like the family politics, the family uh, hauled him off to um, uh, uh, Afghanistan for four years, indoctrinated him into uh, turning into a killing machine. Uh, then he's in a firefight being actually used. He's shot twice in the back. He's then put into a jail uh, that we establish, we do the Western world, uh, in which one of the guys who was uh, controlling the the jail and, in fact, in, in doing in, interrogation of him, subsequently was court-martialed because he killed one of the, the other prisoners. And he's put in jail for seven years. And then we say, we're going to now do a trial. And all the material we got out of you through this torture and so on, and while you were recuperating you know, for, from your injuries and everything else, and isolated in an illegal jail, we're going to use it against you in a trial. Nice. Well, that is sick. Yeah, yeah, to, the, say, to say the least. There is no doubt that there are people in this country who believe that uh, you cannot uh, rehabilitate youths who have been indoctrinated. And I've heard that often from the Jewish community. I've heard it from the Palestinian community because of a lot of the debates there. I heard in, in other places uh, from people in Iraq and so on. They're saying by the age of 15, they're so indoctrinated is that they are just like the others. And as such, uh, they should be treated like the adults. And I'm saying the international convention that we, the world, has agreed to says under 18. Whether those societies have evolved to that or not, that's up to us to assist in happening. And if it takes 100 years to do it, we'll do it. But there's no way that I can now go into countries like uh, um, uh, Darfur or go into the Congo and argue with the people who are using child soldiers that, hey, uh, it's, it's illegal, it's a crime against humanity, and you'll be thrown in jail when they turn around and say, hey, yeah. you guys are not even doing it. Look what you do with your own guys. Yeah, interesting. They fight like soldiers. They die like children. The global quest to eradicate the use of child soldiers, of course, by Romeo Dallaire on the phone with General Dallaire. Just in our last few minutes here, uh, can you give us a very pointed description of recruitment? In in the child soldiers' side? Yes. Yeah. Recruitment is... Uh, uh, by uh, the non-state actors and state actors, meaning even government forces, because there are 17 governments in the world that recruit kids under 15. They are, uh, on the one hand, they go into villages, into uh, schools and so on, at night during the day. And in northern Uganda, you had probably heard of the Gulu Walk, where kids yes. go to a city so that they can be uh, uh, protected there and can't even stay in their own towns and villages. And they'll take them, bring them into the bush, they'll line them up, they'll shoot a few, uh, they'll put a buddy system, if one escapes, the other one is killed, and then they indoctrinate them, they drug them up, uh, and they train them how to use weapons, and the girls are used as sex slaves and bush flies. And guys also, are, young boys are raped too. So that's the, uh, the, the predominant means by which people are recruiting them. Now some... Uh, actually end up uh, in a sort of a volunteer context where the family uh, feels within the zone of the war that uh, they will gain some protection by having uh, their son uh, join the rebel forces. 
Uh, and they're sort of doing that under duress because if not, they'll come and steal them anyways. And so uh, some are, in fact, uh, even the families uh, have to give up the child, uh, you know, overtly. And the last group uh, is a group who have lost their family, uh, are aimless around, and the only place that has got some food, has got some sense of security, uh, and and other people around them, uh, and seems a bit to give them protection, is maybe a rebel force that's using child soldiers, and they join that. Okay, uh, have you... Uh, and, and I guess you've probably worked this through, and I wonder what the connection is and whether it's worth working together or not. But partnering with anti-trafficking NGOs, is that, yes. is that a good move for, for your organization and your, your uh, vision? Yes, in fact, th- th- we are uh, concerned about that because one of the uh, nuances, and we've got it going on right now in Côte d'Ivoire, is, is that when we demobilized uh, the child soldiers in Sierra Leone and Liberia, uh, where they were used massively, uh, the uh, sort of security agencies went there, recruited those kids that were demobilized because they had experience and so on, and moved them into Cote d'Ivoire and have been using them there. And so that is trafficking. Uh, they're under 18 and they're being uh, uh, used uh, against their will, sometimes uh, they are going willingly because they've got promises of, of money and education, better life, and all they do is use them as uh, right. cannon fodder. Uh, but, uh, General Dallaire, when I think about a child soldier, I think, okay, uh, he's starving or he uh, his family's been killed or he's being abused at home. Or he gets sucked into this uh, gang of, uh, of young people, whatever, and they get trained up. And they, okay, maybe they drug him up a little bit and they feed him or whatever, and they, they fill his head with propaganda. And then he goes out and, 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 uh, and shoots a rifle every once in a while. While, or you know, he unloads a clip uh, in, a, in a particular direction. You know what I mean? I, I I think my my visual of this is a little sterile. Yeah, and and in fact, and uh, uh, sort of uh, a classic sort of uh, let you know let's break it down to uh, the the minimum that we can sort of yeah. grapple with. Uh, while in fact, uh, these kids are caught in there uh, for three or four years, uh, five years sometimes. Uh, the girls end up, uh, by being pregnant and having children, uh, they, they live in the bush. They live off of scavenging, uh, and they are physically and mentally abused constantly. And so their, their whole state of life is, is one of extraordinary deprivation and fear. And sometimes, to them, it's less fearful to face potentially uh, an enemy that could ultimately be a peacekeeping force out there protecting them than it is to stay within the structure there with the, with the, the leaders who are abusing him. I still don't think I really get it because I I don't know I I understand the that they would uh, be tortured and raped and abused and, and manipulated etc yeah. etc et but are they really that dangerous? Because well, I I understand the the, the bad <laughs> stuff that goes down to them, yeah. but are they really that dangerous? It, it, there's something about the Western mindset that says, "Come on, kids aren't." I mean, they're not that dangerous. They there there may be an additional little aspect to to a to the rebel forces uh, cause, but they're not really that dangerous. Oh well, in fact, a number of rebel or non-state actors uh, are using them massively. I mean, they are the primary weapon system. 
and and not the adults. These kids are, and amongst those kids, uh, there are some who have leadership potential and are able to lead other kids within the organization. And and they are capable of extremes. I'll give you an example. Please. Uh, when I went to a, uh, in Rwanda, one one amongst others, uh, so, so many others. Uh, a lot of the killing was done by youth, by machetes, indoctrinated and drugged up, boozed up and so on. But they were doing it. And, and day in, day out. I mean, there, there was three months of killing there. But as an example, I arrive at a checkpoint and it's manned mostly by, by youth, uh, not adult, you know, so on the corner. Late afternoon, they're, they've been into the booze and so on. They're quite excited. And so there's no way we're going to punch through because the, 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 the way they're armed. So I stop and I start getting out of the vehicle and there's, 12, 13-year-old, rams an AK-47 barrel nearly up one of my nostrils. Wow. And his eyes are big like toys. Uh, he's sweating. Uh, he is nervous. His hand, his fingers on the trigger. Trigger. They are totally and completely unpredictable. An adult, you can sort of get a feel, but the, you don't know what's ultimately going to make him pull that trigger or not. And the kids around are screaming and so on. And to this day, I believe that that kid didn't pull the trigger because he caught in the corner of his eye the chocolate bar I had in my hand. <laughs> really? So they are ruthless. Wow. But uh, they also have an extraordinary capability of resiliency. And, and and are you saying that there is hope because they can? They're still young and they can rebound. They can change. Whereas you know you're you're trying to affect the life of uh, lives of maybe a 45, 50, or a 35 year old yeah. a man who's been indoctrinated for 20 plus years. But mm -hmm. uh, if you get a 12, 13, 15, 10 year old, you, you can rescue them. You can turn their life around. Yes or no? Yes. And and not only that. Uh, I have been in my research working at trying to get NGOs to take out of the demobilized child soldiers that we finally get demobilized is find the ones who have been child soldier leaders who have already been proven to have enormous leadership potential uh, to which other kids are showing deference to right. and putting them into a program like we do in many of our private schools here in North America where we have as a model, you know, the leadership of tomorrow sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and put them into schools for four or five years with other kids who have not necessarily been child soldiers but have been war affected and build the leadership of the nation on them. Actually inculcate that within them and, and so not let that leadership turn sour again, but in fact create uh, an atmosphere and give them the depth they need to be ethical and moral leaders of their nation. Okay, General Dallaire, we're going to say goodbye. We've run out of time. You are always a fantastic interview, but I've got to finish with this. The frustration you felt dealing with the UN back in Rwanda. Yes. Aren't you just going to run up against that same crap again? Well, the fact that we, we, we're, I, I was involved in the Darfur scenario uh, and, and it was interesting to see the African Union responded better to Darfur than the UN did. There's been a lot of reforms, but I, I still believe the UN is the only international body, not, uh, NATO, uh, and, and regional uh, structures, uh, can be reinforced by the UN. But unless countries like Canada take on those 101 significant recommendations that Kofi Annan left, uh, to uh, 
uh, uh, do the reform of the UN, the UN is going to continue to stumble. And we stopped that. Not Canada, the U.S. stopped those reforms because maybe they don't want the UN to be effective. Maybe they need the UN as the whipping boy, the yeah. scapegoat for some of the mistakes they're making. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is always a pleasure to chat with you, General Dallaire. They fight like soldiers. They die like children. The global quest to eradicate the use of child soldiers. Of course, his website is very simply RomeoDallaire.com. Always an honor. Thank you, sir, for your time. And great questions. And all the best to you and your uh, listeners. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah. Well, are you feeling uh, better there, Tim? Dude, I, I'm such a nerd. <laughs> oh, thank you for that that opportunity to speak to him. It was it was an honor. It was, what? A, sorry. Yeah, he's a neat guy. He's a neat guy. Because <laughs> if I say any more, I'm just going to sound you stupid. Are. Well, you, you're past that. Oh, thank Up you. next, Frank Schaefer. He's an incredible author, a blogger at the Huffington Post. He's an uncertain believer, and he's a guy with a... Uh, a bit of a uh, cheeky belief system himself. He's an uncertain believer. I think he'd be okay with me calling him that. We're going to find out in a minute. Frank Schaefer, uh, son of Francis Schaefer of Labrie, of course. Uh, he and his father and his family were uh, instrumental in starting the religious right, which, as Tim has pointed out many times, he is neither. And then after that, Michael Korn. He is going to help me, I guess, figure out what I just experienced after being in Israel for a month. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca. It's hard to find quality guest speakers these days. If they're interesting, they're usually expensive. And if they're cheap, they're usually boring. Well, here's someone who's both expensive and boring. Drew Marshall is a high school dropout who tried to become a pro football player but didn't make it. He then tried to become a firefighter and didn't make it. Now he's trying to become a stand-up comic. <laughs> Good luck with that, Mr. Marshall. But if you're looking for someone who's unpredictable, incredibly honest, provocative, genuine, then we've got the right guy. Everyone seems to be an expert on something these days. Why not book someone who's an expert on nothing except how to be brutally honest about yourself and your faith? To book Drew Marshall as your guest speaker, go to drewmarshall.ca.